want to barf right onto his face. Where's Andy Warhol when you need him? She's a good-looking boat, and she's all mine. <laughs> Seething with raw, naked sexual vulnerability. <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that has 16 lifeboats and four collapsibles as required by law. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Marrying you was the most, the only exciting thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, come on. You won that spelling bee. Oh, that was pretty exciting. You'll see. That's true. I got a trophy. Don't misunderestimate yourself, Tom. (laughs) Don't do it. All right. So I don't think we have any new uh, news on the country report front. That's correct. So let's go ahead and dive into telegrams from our cousins. We haven't done these in a while, so we've got quite a few That's excellent right. letters. So uh, kick us off, Tom. Okay. Our first telegram from, comes from Cousin Miranda, who writes, Dear Kelly and Tom, after belatedly getting on the Downton bandwagon, I was looking for something to fill the gap and discovered your podcast on iTunes. We'll be leaving a review in the near future. I made the mistake of listening to it at work and nearly passed out from the laughter I had to keep in. While I don't always agree with you, I have far more fondness for Mr. Bates than either of you. I still enjoy all of your witty insights and really enjoy the history-slash-fashion lessons. I don't know if you are in need of other TV shows-slash-movies to fill the hiatus, but I'd like to suggest the Maggie Smith version of A Room with a View. Fondest regards, your third cousin twice removed, Miranda, from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you, Miranda. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize Maggie Smith was in A Room with a View. Right. Or in did... any version of it. Yeah, yeah. Nor did I, but, you know, I didn't use to realize Maggie Smith was so important. So well, you know. It was easy know. for her to be under my radar. Many of us have converted in the latter <laughs> years of our lives. It's true. Next up, Cousin Donnell writes, Dearest Cousin Kelly, as I am myself a former Mormon, or as Mr. Deity calls us, himself included, a foreman, I was most excited to hear you refer in Do Give Us a Call If In Fact You Exist to the 1992 feature films for families creation, The Buttercream Gang. (laughs) I believe that I also heard you say that you were required by your family as you grew up to watch Mormon family-friendly films. I now realize that there is compelling evidence that you are one who has exited the LDS fold, for you share some telltale characteristics with others of that ilk, such as one, you seem to be uncommonly comfortable with the swears, particularly the curse of fuck you. Two, you are passionate about human rights, including those of the gays. Three, you are among the most witty and fun-loving people on the planet. It was through my exit from Mormonism that I discovered podcasts and through loading my Roku with the excellent Mormon Expression podcast that I discovered up yours downstairs, for which I would be eternally grateful were there really an eternity to be grateful in. (laughs) I would love to have confirmed to me now that you, Miss Hilarious Kelly, are part of the Once a Mormon But Never Again Thank You Very Much Club. As referred to in number three, some of the folks in this group are among the best in the world. You would be a very welcome addition. Indeed, if it were to be confirmed that you were, in truth, a fellow foreman, I would immediately apply my sewing shears to my hobble skirt as I wear it and do a happy dance and celebration. Please say that it is so. I have been hobbled long enough by far and will be only too happy to have an excuse for one more act of liberation. With gratitude for your gift of entertainment, your cousin Donnell. Well, I hate to uh, disappoint cousin Donnell and anyone else who got really excited, but <laughs> I am not a foreman. No. I have never been a Mormon. I am merely a uh, recovering Catholic. Right. As is Tom. As am I. No, but uh, I did reply to Donnell and just mention, you know, people who grow up in very conservative families, the Mormon movies are excellent because there <laughs> yeah. is nothing a bit objectionable or sectarian about any of them. Mm. I mean, that's what's really impressive to me. Yeah. Because they are, you know, they're produced by right. Mormons, but they're all 
all just sort of like non-denominationally like yeah well that's they would have golden the, rule type stuff the commercials when i was a kid would just be about like be nice to people mm-hmm. and i'd be like okay what where's what's your angle in just this? no just like those mormon <laughs> commercials you yeah. know what's the capital of north dakota <laughs> i never understood that commercial it's like kid said he wouldn't cheat and then he got in trouble like what happened can someone explain that commercial to me? <laughs> what was it for? I, I don't know that anybody can help you with that. But yeah, I mean, and, and Catholics and Mormons are fairly similar. They got the, you know, the large families and the sort of, you know, there's like a, there's like a, there's, there's sort of a cultural heritage. It's like, it's less so than with um, Judaism, mm-hmm. but more so than with Protestantism. There's this sort of like you know, culture that goes along with the religion, I think. Yeah. With, with Catholics No, I agree. And well, and I think, you know, Catholics and Mormons were stigmatized in America right. more so than, than Protestants were right, in right. general. Um, yeah, just because, you know, they both had some wacky beliefs uh, yeah. that other people found unsettling. Mm-hmm. So that is, uh, that is how we feel about Mormonism and Catholicism, <laughs> that they're kind of similar but a little different. Okay. You heard it here first. It's our official position. <laughs> And next we have a telegram from Cousin Suzwa, who writes, Hi, cousins at UYD. Uh, and it's spelled with a with an E, so I think it's French for cousins, mm-hmm. but I, I don't... It's a very French. French missive. Yeah. She writes, Firstly, thanks so much for taking the time to put together your show for all us obsessed DA fans. I cannot wait for the next series to start, and as you know, it's planned to air in Britain sometime next month. I def plan to get my hands on downloaded episodes. Muhahaha. Question, are you planning to do the same, and if so, are you going to put up podcasts around the time of the British-shared episodes or when it comes to PPS in January? By the way, I find it extremely annoying that we have to wait until January for PBS to air here. Whatevs. Thanks. Truly yours, Lady Suzwa. Yes. All right. So this has been uh, discussed. People have been asking this a lot. This has been debated at the highest level. Being us. Right. <laughs> uh, and we're going to stick with our original plan, which is to do the Series 3 podcasts when the series airs in America in January. Right. Uh, we apologize to our British cousins yeah. uh, and cousins in other nations where you're getting this first, possibly in Canada. Yeah. Uh, but we just, I don't know, we, we made this decision that we weren't going to download it ahead of time, and uh, now it's like a point of honor for us, I <laughs> right. think. It's like, can we do it? Uh, so we are going to try and figure out a way to set up, you know, sort of like a spoiler-friendly space, you know, maybe mm. some kind of open thread on the Facebook page if you all want to discuss it amongst yourselves, and we will try really hard not to look at it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but so, you know, we'll continue with some, you know, different programming up through, I think, January 6th is the premiere date for Masterpiece Theater mm. on PBS. Mm. Um, so that's the plan. We'll do them. We're going to do the British edit. We're going to do the British episode. So we will be downloading them, just not until later. Right. Yeah. And, and that'll also basically enable us to get it up. Right know, after can, it airs. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also, you know, Laura Linney. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she does like 10% of the work for us. (laughs) That's right. So we can't leave her out. (laughs) So, yeah. So we will be doing new episodes of Downton January 6th. That'll be the the first recap of Series 3. That's right. Put it on your calendar. Yeah. Uh, Don't worry. We have plenty of fun stuff planned for the rest of the year. It's going to be a good time. So don't be afraid or worry. (laughs) Yeah. 
And it's, well, and it's going to be exciting to uh, to do each episode without having seen the whole series. Because... No, and that's really, I think, the the main reason for both of us is that we want to go into it without being spoiled at all, which is weird because usually we don't care so much. Right, but right. For some reason, we want to kind of watch this in real time and and have like a cultural experience or something. Yeah, so we'll see how that works. Yeah. Out. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a letter from Cousin Lois. Hello, Cousins Kelly and Tom. Such a pleasure to listen to your fabulous podcast. I have a few thoughts with regard to Downton and appreciate you taking the time to read them, should you actually have the time. I've been meaning to send this, but, well, you know how difficult it is balancing numbers in the country. <laughs> I see a lot of similarities between Downton and Hemingway characters, particularly in The Sun Also Rises. Jake Barnes is a World War I vet uh, with a mysterious injury which prevents him from having sex. Sound familiar? And then there's Lady Ashley, who calls herself a not-so-feminine Brett and sports a short haircut, which is a hairdo Mary previously indicated she might herself get at one point. Brett and Jake are in love, but due to his condition, they can never really be together, and she has a myriad of relationships while being engaged to Mike, a Scotsman who's a lover of cocktails. Oh, and Mike knows about the affairs. Paging Richard Carlyle. <laughs> then there's Brett's affair with a beautiful Spanish bullfighter. Sounds like Mr. Pamuk or one of those not-so-picky Italians. Both exotic gentlemen are ruined after their affairs with their respective ladies. If I recall correctly, the bullfighter destroys his career pining after Brett, and Mr. Pamuk, well, we all know what happens to him. I'm actually planning to reread the book as it's been several years. You could get info on Sparknotes should you be interested. There are several other characters whose stories show up in Downton, though many are obvious archetypes. And speaking of the Turkish gentleman, I've been thinking about the connections to the East in Downton, including the Ottoman Empire and Egyptian names, Isis Pharaoh. The former has been addressed in a history segment, which was awesome, though I also think about the Elgin marbles in the British Museum. Basically, the Earl of Elgin was the British ambassador to the Ottoman Empire. He got the right to take molds of the Parthenon frieze marbles, but instead absconded with the originals, and they're in the British Museum to this day, and is still a controversy. This action clearly wasn't meant to strengthen ties between the two people. Regarding the Egyptian interest, although Fellows was born in Egypt as identified by another cousin, the country and history as a whole was extremely interesting during this time to Westerners, with Egyptology being a popular investment for those with enough cash. The Earl of Carnarvon of Highclere Castle fame was responsible for the search and subsequent excavation of the tomb of King Tutankhamen, 1922. For a... <sighs> For a fictional look at the history, I suggest the Amelia Peabody Mystery Series. It's a highly entertaining and many times educating take on British involvement in Egypt starting in the late 1800s. To say nothing of the look at male-slash-female British social norms and behavior. I've read every book. I'm sure you can learn more about all this online. I had the opportunity to study in London several years ago and was fortunate enough to stay a block over from the British Museum, and I've been back several times. Thanks again. I could be passing on information you already know, in which case, thanks for humoring me. I do enjoy reading and learning new things, which makes your podcast an absolute fave. I'm currently watching Manor House so I can get back to hearing your hilarious podcast. Thanks for taking the time to keep me entertained. Cousin Lois. All right. So yeah. that was a very informative email. It was indeed. Uh, and no, and the uh, the similarities to The Sun Also Rises, I think, just points to our theory that Baron Julian just likes to, you know, go around stealing plot points <laughs> that he likes and applying them as he sees fit. I, uh, you know. Which isn't terrible. Yeah. Uh, it's just... He's far from the only person to engage in such oh, behavior. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I, I myself have not read... Uh, the sun also rises because I had a uh, I had a professor in college who loved Hemingway to the point that caused me to despise Hemingway, mm-hmm. sort of in rebellion. So. I actually I did really enjoy the sun also rises, and I enjoyed uh, a farewell to arms. Hmm. Uh, those were both quite good. 
Right. So, yeah, but there, I, I am now interested in revisiting The Sun Also Rises and seeing uh, how that matches up. All right. Well, f- feel free to do that on your own. I will. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, as far as the, the East and Egypt and, and all that sort of thing, you know, that's, that's interesting. And that's actually, you know, in, in the, the long-rumored standalone episode, one of the things I would really like to do is get into some non-British mm-hmm history of that era and what was sort of going on well and i like that the earl of carnivon of highclere castle fame Mm -hmm. is the one who funded the tutankhamun exhumation like that's really cool and it is neat that that's been kind of tied in with lord grantham's love of you know egyptology Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. very fascinating yeah next we have a telegram from cousin james who writes was wasting the last few minutes of work wandering the alleyways of the interwebs when i stumbled across this Thought you guys might get a giggle. Uh, and this, in this case, is a screenshot of something that you will find amusing and will be posted on our Facebook page. So it's a little Facebook tie-in here if you want to see what that's about. But he says, love the show, and Kelly needs to be on BGS, Boar's Gorn Swords, more often. And I'm plotting to win the lottery to have the funds to make Tom Repeat's history a regular show. Keep up the great work, guys. Cousin James. All right. Yeah. I am a big fan of this plot, Yeah. Cousin James. Make it so. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you are not familiar with Boris Gorn Swords, that is the uh, the Podfather. Yes, and you can uh, catch those guys. Just Google Boris Gorn Swords; yeah. it'll come up. And if you, uh, cousin James, or anybody else wants me to be on more often, I strongly recommend that you start badgering Ivan and <laughs> Red about it on Twitter, on Facebook, by their email. Swords at gmail.com. They're they're fairly badgerable. They're pretty badgerable. If you want me on more often. It's pretty much up to you guys. Like, I'll, I'll go on as much as you want. Yeah. Because I always have a good time hanging out with those guys. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a message from Cousin Heather. Just l- finished listening to the latest podcast from Manor House. Seriously funny. I've been doing a little research into the participants' lives after the show, and there is very little out there. However, there are two gems. This is a transcript of an online chat Kenny took part in and where he shares his opinion of the OCs. Uh, we'll post that link on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. The, this other site is about Lord OC. View at your own risk. Some of the things he lists as his loves are stomach-turning. Don't say I didn't warn you. Hope you enjoy them. Thanks. Uh, so I did, I, I, I wanted to wait to post these <laughs> until we had actually recorded this. Right. But the fishing.co.uk author profile of Lord OC was so horrible, I had to post it immediately. <laughs> right. It was, I just needed somebody else to go through it it's, with me. Like, it's so awful. Yeah. It's as if he, like, managed to, like, hunker down and, like, recalcify all of the horrible <laughs> things that make him a bad person. <laughs> right. He's like, well, I've just been too liberal and easygoing and not weird up till now. Yeah. Like, I really need to double down. Well, apparently he's been writing for them since like the 60s or something. Mm. Or I don't know. Maybe not the 60s. But yeah, no, he's, he's been, been writing for a like, long time. His, his writing for this fishing magazine predates his having appeared on Manor House. Right, right. Which doesn't explain why he's so bad at fishing <laughs> in Manor House. Um, and then the, uh, the online chat is really fascinating. It's not only Kenny, it's one of the producers. Uh, you learn a lot of things about the process and things that we had sort of been asking about, such as were there backup scullery maids? Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers, there weren't. They right. really did have to you know, start their search from scratch trying to find replacement scullery maids. Mm-hmm. But it's really fascinating. It, it links from that article 
to another transcript of an online chat with Lord OC and Antonia, but that link is not good anymore. Mm. So that's very frustrating because I would love to see that chat as well. So if you happen to know it, like, is there some sort of seedy internet underbelly of Manor House fandom that we (laughs) can be trolling on? I just, I don't know. There isn't, but I might be able to track down that that content for you. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Let's, let's, let's do our best. Okay. And that actually brings us to our final, this is a, this is a twofer. Okay. This is two separate letters from our faithful housekeeper, Mrs. Grant. Ordinarily, I don't read the subject lines of (laughs) emails, but I have to in this case. Uh, His franglaise is better than your stupid dead partridge present. (laughs) Dear Honorable Lady Kelly and Sir Thomas, first a huge thank you for introducing me to the very entertaining manor house. Sir John is a big jerk. Even though we all know that, I am compelled to list ten things I hate about him. Now, we received this email several weeks ago because mrs grant was ahead of where we were in the in the publication schedule here Mm -hmm. but so we've saved it till now and and we are going to read you her top 10 (laughs) things that mrs grant hates about sir john yes number 10 would you like to kick it off there tom sure number 10 over and over again he insisted that the people who had to shine his shoes are happy number nine he flip-flopped at the last minute about the quality of life of the downstairs just so that he won't get his private parts cut off once they all go back to normal life Number eight, his face is stupid. His bald head is stupid. His mustache is worse than major ass stashes. <laughs> I forgot about major ass stash. Oh, uh, rest in peace. Number seven, he told his wife not to wear a wig that Morrison spent days on just because he's going to be shorter than his wife, despite the fact that both ladies were extremely disappointed. Does he care? Of course not. Number six, he humiliated Mr. Edgar in front of his guests just because he cannot stand a stupid food colder than hot when he was the one who should have got more staff instead of running his staff to the ground. Number five, over and over again, he planned stupid, gigantic parties without even considering giving the staff more hands and giving them a full day off the day after. Number four, he shamelessly hinted at sex with his stupid wife in front of Morrison, which is the grossest thing, even more gross than Monsieur Dubiard crapping his pants. That's a really good point. Yeah. Number three, like Dubiard said, he was a fake. He picked and chose what he wanted to do and eat, but told everybody else to follow all the rules. Hypocrite! Number two, he cried when he left the house because he loved his haughty toddy status so much. I want to barf right onto his face. Doesn't he realize his comfort was built upon the absolute agony of pretty much everybody else? I think he does, and that makes him the most detestable bastard. Don't you just love how everyone was rolling their eyes at him in that scene, though? LOL. Number one, he humiliated Monsieur Dubiard by not eating the food that he spent so much time to make just because he's a pussy. Arrgh! <laughs> Mrs. Grant continues. As you can probably tell, the chef is my absolute favorite character in the entire show from the first episode on because he's the only one who has an actual skill in the whole show. He's super hardworking, knowledgeable, extremely skilled, and absolutely devoted to the project. He is like your high-functioning autistic brother. I wouldn't even know how to begin to cook an egg on that stove, how to control the temperature, and how to do anything without electrical appliances. And my God, that pig's head was just the best. (laughs) And to tell Lord O.C. that he's a jerk in front of everybody is so awesome. I am very disappointed at Lady O.C. because she totally sank down to her husband's level in the end. She totally got sucked into the whole fake hierarchy thing. And for an educated woman, it is a total shame. I am ashamed of her. 
Don't you just love the last episode? The period film was precious. I laughed so hard because both Monsieur Dubillard and Mr. Edgar participated. I also loved how all the servants became so handsome and pretty with all the modern trappings, while Lord and Lady Osi are both looking like douchebags in the end. Everybody was only saying bye to Master Guy, and nobody else. Ha ha! Okay, that's enough. Thanks for reading. I bid thee good day. Your humble servant, Mrs. Grant. I just... That leather is so enthusiastic, and that's pretty much how I felt the first time that I saw Manor House. Like, I, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just, it's got this, like, kick up your heels. <laughs> yeah. You know, sing a song thing to it for yeah. some reason. Like, yeah. you're like, it's, wow. Yeah, just, you know, your hatred is so pure, uh-huh. and it's, 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 it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mrs. Grant actually sent us a shorter second message because she found something really cool on mm-hmm. the internet. Dear Honorable Lady Kelly and Sir Tom, I saw this on the PBS site and thought you might be interested. It's actually uh, on the Manor House website on PBS. We'll post this link as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's questionnaires with each of the participants from after the experiment. Yeah. And we haven't gone through all of them yet, but they're really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Some people have more information than others, but it's really cool. Yeah. When you click on the name of the person and skip the interview, there are updates there from 2003. Not great, but better than nothing. Apparently, Ellen and Kenny broke up after a while, but they did live together. And Antonia is like the most popular. Well, duh. Excellent job on the podcast as usual. Please bring back that dude who didn't do his homework, but was hilarious. He was awesome, but I don't remember his name. Your faithful housekeeper, Mrs. Grant. Uh, so the dude who didn't do his homework, that was uh, Guy Branham. Yes. Very funny comedian. We will do our best to bring him back. He'll be back up in the Bay Area in October. So if he has the time and we can convince him to come back on, we definitely will have him back on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Kenny and Ellen didn't work out. Yes. I mean, I'm kind of glad. Like, to stay with the same person forever when you're both, like, 19 and, like, having met on a reality show. Like, that seems like that would be difficult to explain to everyone. Right. And I, I don't know how Ellen is doing, but uh, Kenny is married with two children, it would oh. seem, and is apparently very happy. Oh, my. Ac- according to his Facebook page. Oh, not that we're stalking any of the <laughs> right. cast members yeah. of... Oh, because we did also find Rob Daly is right. now a football commentator. Yeah. Yeah. And you can he, find him he's, at... He's got robdaily.co.uk. He's got a very, like, respectable career for himself. Yeah, It's yeah. very impressive. Yeah, so he seems to be doing well. Um, uh, all of which is to say, <laughs> congratulations to Mrs. Grant for uh, being awarded Cousin of the Week this week. That is correct. Yes. I mean, that top ten list, <laughs> that was some Letterman-level stuff right there. Yes. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you, and congratulations. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's all of our telegrams. For I feel like we should have theme music for telegrams for our cousins. <laughs> yeah, you know, like a little. Well, we've got that on tape. Well, now. that's we can true. Just, we can just re- reuse that. I don't know. Is that actually Morse code? Like beep 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 beep. Does it change in tone? Is that how it works? Well, I think they do if you have the duplex. <laughs> Uh, all right, anyway. Yeah. Uh, if you know how a telegraph works, shh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we are finally covering Julian Fellow's four-part miniseries, Titanic. That we are. <sighs> you guys. <laughs> why didn't anybody tell us about this? <laughs> like, it's so bad. It's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. It's it's not good. Uh, 
the best part about it has been that we're watching it on our DVR, and so there's all these like commercials from April. That's right. So we can like point and laugh and be like, ha ha ha! You didn't know about what is happening now. That's right. You got canceled. Suck it, revenge. <laughs> yeah, we don't even know how to talk about it because it's doing this whole like Rashomon thing. Uh, right. Because uh, we're only we're only covering the first two episodes today, and then the next uh, episode of Up Yours Downstairs will cover parts three and four. Right. <sighs> Well, the first scene is somebody riding a bicycle, which if you know Julian Fellows, yeah. you're like, uh-oh, somebody's riding a bicycle, delivering a message. I bet the Titanic's going to sink. <laughs> yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, it does. Yeah. Um, but this person is just uh, bringing tickets, has some uh, third-class steerage tickets for the Titanic that he has brought to his struggling family. They seem disappointed by the fact that it's steerage, and uh, then we move on. Yeah, I don't think we're really going to get very far just describing the scenes. Like, okay, so... <sighs> well, so here's the thing. <laughs> so we'll explain this, that, that the two episodes so far have covered basically... Each episode has covered basically the same time frame, just they've looked at different characters in the two. Mm-hmm. But not, like, with any, like... But it's not, like, see... And so there was a bunch of scenes at the beginning where we're like, that made no sense. Mm-hmm. And it did, indeed, it did not make any sense. And then in episode two, they redid that scene with, like, a different perspective. And then it kind of made sense. But, like, not really. But, like, not, first not, of all, yeah. Not in a satisfactory way. Right. And second of all, if this is what you're going to do, then you, they needed to really pick, like, you know, two or three central, you know, families or mm-hmm. whatever in each one. And, like, we're doing, like, say we're doing... The first class in episode one, and we're doing steerage in episode two, or whatever. Well, and I know it's a cliche, but there's a reason that James Cameron, James Cameron's Titanic was so effective. It's because in saying I'm going to focus on this one upper class woman right. and this one lower class guy, we get to spend time in both of those worlds, mm-hmm. and we don't actually have to care about anybody. Right. The Wikipedia article for this miniseries says that there are over 89 main characters, which you know what? Fuck you. No, there's not. <laughs> right. You cannot have 89 main characters. Right. There can be 89 characters, no, although it, I don't know why you would do if that. If you have 89 main characters, you have zero main characters. You have zero characters. Well, yeah. the other problem is that white people... We all just look the same. <laughs> we look the same. We can't tell us apart. Right. Like just a lot of white dudes in suits. Just and like a lot of together. white ladies. Yeah. Like the white dudes are the most hard to tell apart, but the mm-hmm. ladies aren't much better because there's so many characters and they're all introduced either perfunctorily or not at all. Right. Like I just there's so many. Like we were like on IMDb the whole time trying, trying to, to match out. character names to actors, and it was a nightmare. Yeah. And we're not even done. Right. Like, there's probably still some more assholes we haven't met yet. <laughs> it's true. But listen, I got so excited, though, because in the beginning, we saw this guy, and I'm like, I know that guy. And we were like, oh, my God, it's Thomas Wayne from yes. the Batman movies with right. Christian Bale. And I'm like, oh, my God, is Batman going to be in the Titanic? Oh, man. Why has that not happened yet? Yeah. That would be a great stupid thing for DC Comics to do. Yeah, let's see Batman like, on the Titanic. Nobody likes the new 52. The Titanic apparently is like a gold mine. Did you know there are 10 separate film, television, or theatrical adaptations of the Titanic story? Yeah. And the thing about it is they're all called Titanic. Like some of them have Titanic, you know, dot, 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 something else. 
But I'm like, come on, shake it up. Like, you know, call it hubris or or iceberg. Mm-hmm. You know, the, st- the story of the iceberg that sank the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, there hasn't really been a... A movie, like, from the perspective of the iceberg. That's right. Where's Andy Warhol when you need him? (laughs) Uh, I just want to point out briefly, before we get too deep into the actual thing that we're covering, (laughs) there's two things we discovered on Wikipedia that we're really excited about. One of which is that there's a new Titanic miniseries. That's right. uh, That was produced by the History Channel Asia. Right. And I would love to sit down and talk to someone about how this happened. (laughs) Yeah. But it stars uh, Chris Noth, Mr. Big from Sex and the City, Mm -hmm. and Nev Campbell of Nev Campbell. (laughs) Uh, And it's not about, like, it ends as the boat is sailing. It's all about, like, the class tensions and, like, the building of the ship, which is exactly what we said because we were sitting here watching it yeah and i was like oh if he wanted to be really interesting he would only focus on the people working on the ship and the people in steerage yeah. like nobody's yeah. ever done that nobody's yeah. ever because they wouldn't see any of that they wouldn't see anything that's going right. on They've they are never... literally packed in like rats yeah and you know barred by people with guns from going into the nice parts. exactly yeah um yeah but no but this this uh titanic blood and steel uh-huh. i mean it, it's the gritty origin story reboot of titanic yeah it, it's the batman the, begins of titanic <laughs> it's about the titanic getting built before it goes off and has its adventures listen we're really excited because this is exactly <laughs> the boring kind of shit that we love we are so excited because and it gets into like, this a little bit in this one but it really is going to dig in hard to the problems in northern ireland ireland yeah, yeah. which you kind of get a little bit of a taste of from um Branson? Branson. God. I'm a monkey's (laughs) uncle. (laughs) It's been a little while. Uh, But not specifically the Northern Irish issue. Right, right. Um, But anyway. Yeah, I mean, what we get with Branson is the Irish versus uh, English conflict, but Mm -hmm. the whole separate conflict between the, you know, Protestant and Catholic Irish, Mm -hmm. you know, was entirely a different thing. Yes. So um, we're very much looking forward to that. That's airing in October. Right. So we're going to see if maybe it's a 12-part series which is a lot yeah uh so we'll see how maybe that'll work out right but we'll keep you posted on Mm -hmm. that kind of thing uh now the other thing that was really striking (laughs) is a well here i'll just read this titanic the legend goes on is a 2000 italian animated feature film about the sinking of the rms titanic it is currently rated number one on the list of imdb's 100 worst rated films uh, sold it is a cartoon that basically from what i can see reverses the this is like you know like when uh say like brave comes out okay mm-hmm. Then you go to, like, Walgreens or CVS, and up near the front, there's things that are, like, still VHS copies. <laughs> right. But it's, like, you know, red-headed archery girl. <laughs> yeah, or bold. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's clearly a ripoff, but, you know, it's for, pe- you know, kids like, Mom! And, like, the mom just buys it because <laughs> it's, it's 99 and... cents. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this seems to be something like that. Uh, like, I... yes, but also... Titanic wasn't animated, <laughs> so there's a problem there. Uh, well, it is now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, there's a blue locket. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, listen. There's a lot of like the main plot that doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> I'm just going to read the sort of B plot. Yes. Other passengers include the gold-digging Winnie, 
a failing banker named (laughs) Jeremy McFlannel, (laughs) a jewel thief named Corinthia Meanstreak, her two henchmen Kirk and Dirk, a detective named Sam Bradbury who has been sent to pursue them and is visually based on Sherlock Holmes, and Molly, a gorgeous singer. Hold on to your butt. Also boarding in the cargo hold are a group of animals, including a family of Yiddish mice, some geese, a dog named Fritz, a magpie named Hector, and a band of Mexican mice. (laughs) After Fritz saves the mice from a cat, he begins rapping on an unrelated topic about having fun. I... I have to see this movie. If I don't see this movie... I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like, it is crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Andy Serkis voices second officer Charles Lightoller. Oh, my gosh. Guys. <laughs> Seriously, guys. We have to make this happen. So uh, we'll be researching how <laughs> to purchase this. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So that is one of the ten things that has been inspired by Titanic. Yes. Titanic is so... Why does everybody like it so much? It's beca- like, the thing about Titanic is it's it's too heavy-handed. Like, I know it's reality, but it's just such a heavy-handed morality story mm-hmm. that actually happened that it's like... I mean, they knew all the things that were going to cause the problems <laughs> in advance. That right. never happens. Yeah. Like, down to the freaking, like, number of lifeboats. Mm-hmm. Although still, 32 lifeboats doesn't really seem like enough to get everybody off. It, Yeah, agreed. I mean, I'm not sure how many... I don't know how, how many, many yeah. get seated in a lifeboat. Well, because there was like, what, like 1,200 people on board or in that range? About 1,500. About 1,500? All right. Yeah. I mean, if it's... So the, if they each held 50, then you could get by with mm-hmm. 30. Yeah, anyway... People know the answers to this. Yes. There's no point so, in our speculating. right in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it is, it's like the perfect storm. Yeah. Of, of that time period. Mm-hmm. All just in one convenient location. Mm-hmm. It's just. Yeah. The, and, 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 but like, that's, a, I guess what I'm so irritated by is that I'm so susceptible to it still. Like, I hated this miniseries. Mm-hmm. Hated it, yeah. but I'm still like, oh god! I hope those kids get on that lifeboat. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know a disaster movie. People love disaster mm-hmm. movies because they hope the kids get on the lifeboat, etc. Yeah. That was how I felt during Deep Impact as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's like they deserve it. But then there's innocence. But then there's you know. But then there's not enough lifeboats. There's, there's simply not enough lifeboats. There simply aren't. Yeah, Mm-mm. it's true. Yeah. So anyway, back to the miniseries in question. So Thomas Wayne is there. He's got a daughter who is rebellious for reasons that are not particularly clear. Well, she's a suffragette. Is she? That's what she was in prison for. Right. But it seemed like that guy she was talking to later was like, you're not really a suffragette. And she's like, oh, ho, I know I'm not. Hmm, Well, okay. Here's my biggest critique of this miniseries is that every single female character is just an unmitigated bitch. Unmitigated. For, it's for like no it's like Lady Mary times a hundred. It's yeah. like he was like, oh, people seem to like this Lady Mary. I'm just gonna make everybody a. But at least Lady Mary's motivations are clear. Yeah, yeah. I'm not hating on your girl. I'm not. Calm down. <laughs> uh, but 
every woman on this ship is a bitch and she's with some guy who's like oh you know i'm a man talking out of both sides of my mouth about the class divide why can't you just be happy right it makes zero sense and i it's just awful like it's it's just so poorly conceived and executed the the problem that shows up in titanic that that for whatever reason downton abbey doesn't have this problem but it's that julian fellows just doesn't know what he thinks about the class system or all this sort I don't of know. Thing. Well, I I, I, just, I guess, but it's like every time anybody in this miniseries makes a cogent observation about the class system, i.e., the jailer, mm-hmm. where uh, Thomas Wayne comes. He's just going to be Thomas Wayne. I hope you guys are fine with that. <laughs> yeah. And his wife can be Martha. I'll remember this. <laughs> uh, he comes in to get his daughter out of the lockup, and she's in there with a bunch of prostitutes. I did like the prostitute who was like, "What did you expect?" Oh, right. Because like the you know the the high society girls like shivering and this like prostitute just got brought in she's probably all hopped up on gin yeah her hair's crazy yeah she looks like she just walked out of from hell <laughs> and uh and the the what's her name georgiana George, George, yeah georgiana. yeah grex yeah she's like i what were you expecting love <laughs> It's like, yeah, let's follow this prostitute around for a few hours. She's not going to die on the Titanic. No. I mean, she'll probably die. She probably will die. In, this, in a way that will surprise us. Yeah. Anyway, when Thomas Wayne gets there, like this, and he's like, oh, we're going to get you out. And he's like, I know the home secretary. And like, this guy's like, oh, so the ice society girl gets out of the jail where all the tarts and fees have to stay in. And he's like... What are you trying to accomplish? Like, we knew that. Like, we can see prostitute, high society lady. Like, we know this story. Yeah, we know they're going in different directions. We've seen the prince and the pauper, okay? We know (laughs) how it's going to go. Oh, man. What if that would have been a great story if Georgiana and the prostitute had switched identities Mm -hmm. in that jail cell and then nobody had noticed? It would have been so much less scandalous that Mr. (laughs) Guggenheim was traveling with his lady companion and uh also um wasn't there somebody else scandalizing on that ship yeah there was there was some scan well we we think again all very unclear no but i like <laughs> this idea of just like the prostitute wearing george georgiana's clothes the whole time and nobody can tell the difference. yeah exactly and she's just like swilling gin and farting <laughs> and all this stuff and like oh your daughter is such a firebrand <laughs> and 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 thomas wayne's bitchy wife would just look mortified the whole time yeah that's pretty much all you need to know about thomas wayne's wife is that she's a bitch and she's constantly mortified yeah no constantly like you'll just see her the first scene of her yeah the first shot of her in any scene is her being mortified mm-hmm. like just just for no reason <sighs> Anyway, so that's, like, their family. So they're sort of our, our window to the, you know... Upper class. The upper class people. I think, John, I always look for the Astors, and it's not been very clear where they are. Yeah. No, the only, like, you know... The only candidate so- was sort of at the end. There was a guy with a boisterous mustache lowering a pregnant woman into a uh, lifeboat. Right. But I can't remember Mrs. Astor being pregnant, or maybe she was. I, I don't know. No, I mean, the only definite, you know celebrity that we've seen is uh you know molly brown Mm -hmm. did we see her yeah which one is she the one that looks like kathy bates really yeah i thought that was uh dorothy what's her name's mom i thought that was molly brown Hmm. i know molly i I know molly brown was listed in the imdb i know and somebody mentioned that she was there and was awful i just assumed it was molly brown because she looked so much like kathy bates no but I, i mean i did think somebody had addressed her as molly but i may be 
I I, I don't know. I haven't seen her yet, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, no. Considering that there's 89 main <laughs> oh, right. characters, like, what am I supposed to do? Well, then I guess the only celebrity is, you know, Captain Smith. Yeah. He's the captain. He's easy to tell. Well, and uh, Charles Lightoller is a well-known. Oh, is he? All right. I mean, and, and, and Ismay yeah. and Andrews. Oh, that's right. Ismay was a name I knew. Mm-hmm. All right. And he has a mustache, just like the guy who is in the James Cameron one. That's the weird thing is, like, yeah. these things, because some of them are actual historical figures, so they right. should all kind of look the same, but then right. it's like, I'm very confused. <laughs> well, this is where the confusion about Molly Brown comes from, because right. I know which woman you're talking right. about, but I was pretty sure that I looked her up and she was somebody else. Oh, okay. But, well. Anyway. Yeah. Gibson, Dorothy Gibson's mother. That's who I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe Molly Brown is Dorothy Gibson's mother. Could be. It's so confusing. <laughs> uh, so then as far as second class passengers go, right. we've basically just got one couple. Second class always gets the short end of the stick in these things. That they do, yeah. That's one thing I will say about the um, musical, the stage musical Titanic. Oh, yeah. It's It does an okay job with it. Like mm-hmm. There are second class passengers that kind of have, yeah. I don't know, but because the whole thing about the second class is that they're just trying to be the first class. Well, I mean, it's an interesting... And that's a very boring vacuum. I mean, it, it is. Well, and I mean, I can just... I mean, they're not, like, poor and ethnic like Steerage, and they're mm-hmm. not rich and wearing nice clothes like the upper class, yeah. you know? But, I mean, you know, I think, I think there's... I mean, I found the whole middle class is not explored uh, very much in, in Downton Abbey either. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Pretty much just like the guy that comes to install the telephone mm-hmm. is like about the only <laughs> middle class person we meet in the whole thing. Yeah. But and in, in this case, the, the second class people are uh, Toby Jones. Woo! Yes. Who is exciting. Um, and Maria Doyle Kennedy, who you know as Mrs. Vera Bates. And initially we thought she was playing a different character. She right. seemed like she was playing a different character. But then, yeah. not through any fault of her own, this is... Uh, it's a fellow's joint. Oh my god. Yeah. Every woman is a bitch and everything is vague. But I mean, well, at least we... Because that's the thing. Like, he tries to get specific about her in particular. Right. But it just doesn't hold up. Like, yeah. she's, she's from... I- like, she and Toby Jones, they're both from Ireland. Right. But they live in London and he is a lawyer for Thomas Wayne. Right. Basically, yeah, and and see this is like because I I I kind of liked where it was going. They first meet on the train heading to Portsmouth or mm-hmm. wherever they're they're embarking from, and they're walking. The Toby Jones and his wife are walking through the first class carriage, and Thomas Wayne sees them and like stops them and forcibly invites them to tea on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and it was a nice little thing with him having to say like, "Listen, we better get back to our seats, else they think we're trying to stow away in first class." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. just sort of the this Titanic is for people who thought that the James Cameron version didn't have enough awkwardness. <laughs> right, right. Um, so then we, we there's there's major friction between the two wives because Vera Bates is from Ireland, um, as is Lady Mortification. Lady Mortification, uh, but she is Anglo Irish as opposed to native Irish, which is, you know, a major distinction. Yes. Um, Which Thomas Wayne can't seem to fathom. Like, he's very much mouthing the mealy mouth uh, Julian Fellows, why can't we all just get along and everyone know their place? Sometimes I can invite someone from... But, I mean, that's the problem, is you can't... You can't say, oh, let's all just get along and then expect everybody to be happy when you just go inviting people from second class up to your fancy right. tea room. Well, because like, later they have a, there's a church service on board and people from all classes are allowed to come to this church uh-huh. service. And, uh, and they do. And they do. 
and Lady Mortification is being mortified about it. And Thomas Wayne says, oh, I'm sure Jesus doesn't mind. And I'm like, are you sure of that? Because I'm pretty sure that at this period in time, ecumenicalism wasn't too widespread. Yeah. It's still not that widespread. <laughs> it really isn't. People really think that their personal Jesus is the right Jesus. Like, do you really, deep in your heart, think that when you get to heaven, it's going to be filled with, like, Italians? Because I don't think you think that. Yeah. I think you're expecting heaven to just be your rich friends. Yeah. And uh, so, I, yeah, so just get off your high horse. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah, if you're going to be a snob, be a snob. Own it. Yeah. I'm a snob about some stuff. Yeah. Like pizza <laughs> and cable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Important stuff. Yeah. No, like we we look down on people that don't have televisions and they look down on us. Yeah. Uh, it works out great. Yeah. See, we really do all get along. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't mind a bit. It's true. One thing I do want to say it does seem like Julian Fellows is just employing the whole mess of British actors in this. Like, yeah. we recognize almost everybody. Yeah. Uh, which was very exciting. Yeah. Uh, which is a good seg to go down into third class a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess really sort of intermediate with the servants. Right, the servants are... But yeah. uh, Lady Mortification's Lady's Maid is played by Lindsay Marshall, who played <gasps> Cleopatra <laughs> in Rome, yeah. which is like... One of our favorite performances in the history of television. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. She's yeah. really underutilized here. She is. I mean, but, everyone, you know, I am, yeah. I am impressed that she doesn't have to have a role that's just like seething with raw, naked sexual vulnerability. <laughs> right. So good for yeah. her. Yeah. But so she's the lady's maid and the valet is played by our favorite uh, bit player from the Catherine Tate show. Yes. Uh, Lee Ross is his name. Yeah. Uh, but he's the guy, if you watch the Catherine Tate show, who's part of the couple <laughs> that reminds me and Tom of me. <laughs> right. Oh, did I tell you what happened today? Oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> It's really funny, okay? Yeah. Uh, their names are Sam and Paul. Just Google Sam and Paul Catherine Tate and you'll understand. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but so you know what I'm like. <laughs> what do you like? <laughs> anyway, so he's the valet to Thomas Wayne and she's mm -hmm. the lady's maid. And there's some weirdness around a copy of Aesop's fables that she has. Right. This... Again, one of the things, maybe in episode three, when we go through all this nonsense again, this will make more sense. But just, she's reading a book of fables, and then this guy takes it from her, and they all play keep away, and it gets torn, and then they give it back, and what? It doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. the, the significance of the book is at no point explained. Well, I mean, it's got well, a description it's like, from it's, her father. And it's not clear why the guy took it in the first place. Right. Like, That's what's really not clear. Because he likes her. Right. But then he stole her book. Like, why would you do that? Ah, uh, it's awful. Are you five? Like, maybe. Uh, maybe he is. So there's that whole thing. We're introduced to the woman who's the maid who sort of oversees all of the servants of the first and second class. And she's also like on call for second class passengers or something like that. Mm -hmm. So she's got her whole thing. And she seems like she's getting paired off with the saucy Italian waiter. <laughs> uh, who's, well, I mean, Italian waiter. Of course he's saucy. In a fellow's joint? Of yeah. course he is. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, so, he, 
he winks at Georgiana uh-huh. and is very nearly fired for it. Yes. Because the guy is like, do you know how serious this is? How offensive that was? And he's like, uh, this is, this is he's a- like I'm Italian. A life is a beautiful. <laughs> and then he goes off right. and saves a child. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I am much more interested in the people in steerage and in the servants as ever. Yeah. And of course, we spend the least amount of time with them. Right. We've also got the uh, like the master electrician for the ship. Yeah. Managed to like. Yeah, basically. So we get then at the, we see him being in unexplained in episode one, and then in episode two we flash back to the ship being built in March of nineteen twelve. Right. So they're getting down to it, and in, in Belfast, and uh, he is Catholic, which is makes it hard for him to get a job, but somehow he got this job. And he wants to go to America, but he can't afford it. And so... And so then, like, Andrews, who's the ship's designer... Right. There's some whole very vague thing with, like, his dad or his uncle who, like, owns the company or something. And then, of course, Bruce Ismay is there from the White Star Line. And Andrews is complaining about how they cut all these corners. But so then he tells this Catholic electrician, if you go out and you hire a good crew, like, I guess he's got, like, a crappy crew of electricians. I guess, yeah. If you go out, because he's an engineer, he's technically not, like, he's performing manual labor, Mm -hmm, despite the mm -hmm. fact that he's more skilled than that. But he's like, if you go out and you get a crew and you all finish it in time for the the tests that have to be run before it can sail, then, you know, he'll pay you for that, and then you also get to take your family to america on the titanic right and i wish we spent more time like and there's a bunch of weird stuff with his wife yeah we think they might be in an interfaith marriage because she went to the anglican service right and he wasn't there right and like she's just like very like skeptical and like there's this weird tension between them always and i can't well and she's like a third class steerage and like what you live in a shack. What yeah. did you think you were going... Your children are gingers. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we put them. <laughs> How many children have you, sir? And are any of them gingers? <laughs> well, yes. All right. Steerage it is. <laughs> we'll crush those gingers one way or the other by hook or by crook. Two for the ginger holes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish talking about gingers wasn't so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we also have one, I mean, you know, again, occasional things that I, I sort of appreciated. You know, the discussions about how they're, they're scrimping on all these, they're cutting all these corners and they're using iron rivets instead of steel and, and from these various manufacturers and, and all these other, you know, problems that they're having. Which, to some extent, every time I see this scene in whatever Titanic adaptation, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. These are the things you did, and you conveniently had a conversation about all of them at one time so that we could fit them all into the movie. But the, <laughs> the sort of reactions to it and, like, the, the way it was shut down and just being like, uh, uh, you know, why are you being so negative and, and, you know, don't you want this to succeed and why would, you know, all this sort of thing. Just not addressing the substance of his complaints at all. And it... What struck me about it was that this was exactly the dynamic in General Haig's headquarters during World War One. Mm-hmm. how you were always expected to be positive and optimistic and have a good attitude, and any implication that, you know, that this was a bad idea just because it had failed seven times in a row 
was like, what kind of what kind of attitude is that? What, why, we don't want you around here bringing us down with his you know ideas of failure. There's mm-hmm. fa- we don't discuss failure in this room, you know yeah. that sort of thing. It's not a good strategy. It's well as both the Titanic and World War One <laughs> show. <sighs> so we've got this batty uh, Northern Irish family, and right. he pulls a, co- a cool stunt in the second episode. We see because it's been said that like they can't get them a cabin altogether. There'll be a cabin for the dad and their sons and the wife and their children. There's six of them. So I think is it two boys and two girls? I think it is. You don't ever really see all the kids in the frame at the same time. So <laughs> they're very squirrely. Well, you know how kids can be. But he finds them this berth that has enough beds for all of them and he rips off like whatever like the assignment was and he's like this is our our cabin. Mm. And so then this guy comes up with a bunch of like salty old dogs. <laughs> right. And he's like, you know, may I see your ticket? This is supposed to be their cabin. And like it takes like 2 seconds of him like fumbling for his ticket for like these salty old dogs to see like what's going on. Yeah. Like they're like, "Oh, dude, no, man, we don't have to be together. Like this is fine." Like yeah, we well, just... I don't even know this yeah, guy. Yeah, like... it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Like one salty dog or the other it doesn't really make a <laughs> difference to me but like and there's this implication in that scene that the wife knows that something's up but that doesn't get explored and maybe it'll get explored in one of the later two episodes right and then there's that weird scene with that russian guy um yeah, yeah the like, russian guy they're in like the drinking place uh saloon i think i guess i think that's the word with on, that on okay the, i think so um, so they're in the saloon, and and Maloney, is that his name, the, the electrician guy? Could well be. I think it's Maloney. <laughs> He's talking to this Russian guy, and his wife is seated like a table over, just being weird, mm-hmm. and like sewing or something, and then she like right. drops her thread, and like... Yeah, well, and they've they've been having this conversation, the, the Russian, we believe Russian. I, his last name was Lubov. Okay, so that's pretty Russian. Yeah. All right, um, but the Russian guy and, and, and you just said it, Donald? Maloney. Maloney, yeah, uh, are having a conversation, and he's sort of vaguely talking about, you know... Uh, Making changes. Changes, yeah. And, well, and this is, you know, this is five years before uh, right. the Russian Revolution got serious. Right, right. But uh, you know, but you know, communism was around, mm-hmm. or or whatever. I mean, anarchism was big at the time. That mm-hmm. gets mentioned briefly, you know. So whatever it is that he's involved in, yeah. And then the spool of thread rolls over, and she's she's sewing like in a terrified manner. Yeah, the whole like time. if there's lady mortification, she's lady terrification. She just <laughs> right. always looks like a horse is about to kick her in between the eyes. <laughs> yeah, but the the Russian guy stops the spool with his you know proletarian boot. <laughs> <laughs> it gives it back to her. It's like, would you like this spool of thread and the good news about the communist revolution? <laughs> and and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so uh, Maloney comes over. It's like, oh, this is my wife, and, and <laughs> gives her this look, like this sexy Russian look. It's like, and after the revolution, wives will not be bound to their husbands. My room is down the hall. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no. So and I that's mean, the end of the scene yeah. until she goes to the Anglican service and he's there. They almost don't let him in. Yeah. Because like, they're like, whoa, 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 you've got the stake of a Russian Orthodox all over you, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I just want to look around. 
Uh, we ain't got any heathen icons in here, comrade. <laughs> anyway, we so know he... we don't know why we called you comrade. That word doesn't make sense yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, so he comes in and he sits next to the wife. Yes. And leans over and whispers something to her that we don't hear, right. which causes her to move a seat down. Right. It's like Lost in Translation if the final scene happened in the middle of the movie and made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really hoping that we find out what the deal is with Mrs. Maloney. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> um, there's the Italian waiter's brother is working down in the boiler room shoveling coal. And, and I, I got to think he's slated for episode three or four. Cause we, yeah, we just nothing. keep seeing him. Yeah. He was one of the first people that we saw. Right. So. We see him looking, they like come through the storeroom and he looks out and he sees the Titanic. And this is the first time we mm-hmm. see the audience see it. And he just has this look on his face. Like it just looks like he just bought the thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yep, she's a good looking boat and she's all mine. <laughs> How do you say that in Italian? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Life is a beautiful. <laughs> you can't just say that to an Italian person, Kelly. Yes, I can. <laughs> sure. They don't have to say anything bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, that movie won an Oscar. <laughs> it did. Several. Several Oscars. Um, but that, there was a, a question that um, I did wonder because we've got about four different versions of the people craning their necks up to look at the Titanic as they drive past it shot. Which is, I do wonder, I mean, it was it was the biggest ship ever, but I wonder by, like, what proportion? Like, mm-hmm. was it, like, if if you've seen other ocean liners, would you have been like, oh, that's a little bigger? Would you have been like, that is a whole different league? Like, yeah, that's a good question. I, I kind of wonder about that. Yeah, I knew more about the internal specs of the ship back in, you know, 1997. <laughs> we all did, Kelly. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to find that out. Yeah. Stay tuned for when we do some research. <laughs> yeah. The other thought I had was that I imagine that uh, computer graphics classes just all have, like, rendering the Titanic as a standard assignment anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, one of these, you, someday you're going to need to render the Titanic and something that you're assigned to. <laughs> I knew Ooh. I should have been a graphic designer. Possibly when they animate that uh, Batman Titanic crossover. Oh my god! <laughs> Brian Cranston. Anyway, <laughs> as the captain. Yeah, I like it. Well, he did the voice in Batman Year One that just came out. Oh yeah, I forget whose voice he did. Okay, probably like uh, that one guy, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, yeah probably. He's very commissioner-like. <laughs> he is. Um. So I think that covers about everyone. Yeah, let's see. We got. We the, didn't really talk the about the captain, made. but like, who cares about oh, the captain? He's just sort of like bumbling around, being old and useless. Yeah, and like, there was a scene in the second episode where like they were like, "Oh, sorry, person, you can't go on the Titanic. We changed our minds." And he was like, "My mom. What am I gonna tell my mom?" And then in a line of dialogue heavy with irony, the captain <laughs> goes, "Well, I'm sure someday your mother will forgive us." Yeah. No, that was weird. It was just like, oh, the ship's going to sail in a few hours, and by the way, you're fired. Yeah. Like, that was the scene. Pretty much. weird. Um, Well, and then was that the person that got replaced by Charles Lighthaller then? Oh. (laughs) This is such an enlightening podcast for everybody. Um, I mean, it would take us days to figure this all out. (laughs) We would have to watch it a lot of times to understand. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and, and so you know, we'll gladly watch Downton Abbey three or four times. But this, this no, are, sorry guys, yeah. we just can't. Yeah, we'll watch it multiple times if it's worth it, and this just isn't worth it. Yeah. Like if you if you're just listening to this and you haven't watched this, don't watch it. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> get that Italian animated Titanic <laughs> yeah. and like a bottle of whiskey <laughs> and you just have a night, you know, just for you. Yeah. That was another thing uh, as there. And, and again, all the stuff that we've discussed has nothing to do because the Titanic does begin sinking during these two episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just people running around and failing to get into boats. Like we all know that part. You know. Again, if you're going to do a new thing about the Titanic do something interesting like this titanic blood and steel like i don't know what the production values are going to be like i don't know if it's going to be like copper levels of bad (laughs) but like uh, just anything different i i i do wonder though because every time i hear that name it reminds me of spartacus blood and sand right and i want to know if there's going to be a bunch of like gratuitous nudity and slow motion violence i really hope so i know me too great (laughs) um yeah, so, like, all of these characters' lives kind of intersect, except, like, that they don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the second-class couple goes to tea. Right. Uh, there's also a an unmarried mistress on board who's being paraded around like a regular person, except that no one can seem to come to a consensus on how that woman should be treated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's awkward and weird. Yeah. She's the only female actress who seems to have like a point of view yeah. in this thing. Yeah. And she's barely in it. Yeah. But like she's like playing cards with the men and you know, smoking and having a good time. Yeah. Uh this Titanic uh seems a little bit more modestly appointed. <laughs> well than some other iterations that I've seen. Not to be a bitch. You'll get that. But it's not that luxurious. Yeah, so the whole thing between them was that like I guess uh Thomas Wayne has a bastard and Toby Jones knows about it. Yeah, and like Vera Bates that upsets her. She f- well and she found it by snooping in his papers because what else was she supposed to do? Right. Living in a house in the suburb of a city that she hates. And like yeah. literally anything but that. <laughs> Literally anything except for jeopardizing your husband's income. Like, I just, I don't understand. Yeah, or like, just her, her just, we just don't understand her. No. And, what and she's so upset about. Like, some she's, of it, Well, she's upset because she doesn't have a kid. Right. But. But, like, I guess we understand why she's upset, just not any of the actions that she takes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It just, it's weird. Yeah. And because when the ship starts sinking, and the ship starts sinking, like, too sweet. I yeah. have to give it that. that that's true. Like, we were, like, 25 minutes in, and there was the freaking iceberg. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> um, so the ship starts sinking, and, like, everybody's trying to get their jewels from the purser. Right. And, like, everybody else is like, no, seriously, sinking. <laughs> the boat, sinking. Right. Death imminent. <laughs> um, well, it's that detail about how many, you know, jewels were on board, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm sure that the ever upwardly mobile Baron Fellows wouldn't have wanted to not remark upon. Oh, right. But so, like, uh, Lady Mortification is, like, sleeping, and Thomas Wayne's, like, writing a letter, and he hears the engines get shut off. Yeah. So then they, like, they figure out what's going on, and they go get their, like, slutty suffragette anarchist daughter right. from the clutches of a of a... Uh, who who is she with? I keep wanting an to American, say an American, a Philadelphia. No, guy. and I I know what their last name is, but I can't remember. Widener, Widener. Yeah. the Wideners. Yeah. So she's maybe gonna marry this Widener guy. Yeah, who seems pleasant enough. And all of like the young guys in this who are playing Americans have worked so <laughs> hard 
on their American accents. It's very cute. It is adorable. <laughs> They're like, no, thank you, mother. I've got my American accent to keep me bored. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what they were like. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, like, she was off, like, dancing with him or something right. and, like, mortifying her mother, even though her behavior seemed pretty appropriate. Yeah, it seemed to be exactly, like, this, this was no, this was no, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio situation No, here. like, the scene this in question perfectly... was that one high-class dude cut in on another high-class dude to dance with her, and then they started dancing, like, a more up-tempo number, but, like, right. ragtime was just getting invented here, yeah. like, people were going nuts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but she's like, oh, what is she doing? And I, she's dancing. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather have her do this than be in jail? Which was the whole reason they left for America, by the way, is that she was, you know. Yeah. No, so it's, yeah, again, just people being angry for no reason, Mm -hmm. as is so often the case. So anyway, so they're trying to get out with all the rest of the first class people. And then, like, they go past the ship's purser. Right. And, uh, Bitchy McBitcherton. Uh, Lady Mortification. Right. She has many names. Yeah. But only one facial expression. <laughs> uh, she sees all the people, like, fighting to try and get their jewels. And she's like, oh, it's a good thing I had mine in my room. Because she decided to, like, sleep with them under her pillow. Because right. the maid with the book that was played by Cleopatra, like, was trying to take them down to the ship's purse. And she's like, oh, no, they're all queued up. I'll just right. sleep with them under my pillow. And then when she was getting them out again to wear to the lifeboats, she was like, oh, I wasn't wearing this brooch yesterday. And so, and looking at the maid and, so, but like, so I, but yeah, what? It's like everybody has a dark secret, but nobody is willing to give us a straight answer. Yeah, like it's. And even when they do give us a straight answer, you're still like, really? Yeah, the book was Aesop's Fables. What is wrong (laughs) with you? So she she seems to have been running some sort of scam with these jewels, but I can't think what or. I know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure we'll find out about her in episode three or four. Yeah, yeah. We get some insight from the head maid and the Italian waiter who seem like maybe they're going to do it or something. Right, right. She describes the thing with the book and manages to make it even duller than it was <laughs> the first time when we saw it for real. Yeah. <laughs> All of which is to say, Lady Mortification is going upstairs. Right. This is the problem with these things. Like, there's nowhere you can just... Right. You can't just hook into it without having to explain 47 of the 89 characters. <laughs> So on their way up, like Vera Bates flips out, like she sees her and she's like, oh, you're so lucky, blah, blah, blah. I hate you. You're a patronizing bitch. And and you, Thomas Wayne, you're a philanderer. And like when you see this for the first time, none of this makes any sense. Uh, You know that those two women dislike each other and they have perfectly good legitimate like class type reasons for hating each other. But it makes no sense that when the ship is sinking, <laughs> yeah, like they're like they haven't even gotten up to the to the decks yet. Like they're yeah. still like in the middle of the ship. Like the time for screaming is when you know that death is imminent. <laughs> when you're absolutely certain you're not getting out alive, you start yelling. Before I go, I want you to know that I think you're a bitch. Exactly. Yeah. And so anyway, Thomas Wayne gets all mad and he's like, Toby Jones, get over here and, and handle this wife of yours. Uh, yeah. And like Toby Jones gets like swept up in a sea of panic and then he finally comes over. And- yeah. Well, he's he's much shorter than she is, yes. which has played up a lot uh-huh. in their relationship. Yeah. And so that happens. And they have a conversation on deck about how she just wants her life to matter or something. 
And he's yeah. like, he's like, okay, cool, but you know, I'm fired now. So yeah, so hope you find that meaning you're looking for. Have you considered prostitution? I hear it's quite meaningful. <laughs> and could really cover some bills for us. Yeah. So that happened to them. Yeah. Obviously, the steerage people are being locked in steerage. But through some plucky intervention from Peter Lubov, yeah. the uh, Russian stallion, <laughs> the young gingers and the mother managed to get out. And actually, the dad did too, right? Eventually, I so, like, there yeah. was like a brawl and yeah, yeah, all there, that jazz. There was. Um, and they actually wound, they actually barrel past old Vera Bates and, yeah. and get into a boat. Like They're like, oh no, go ahead, Toby Jones. You're short. You look like a child. You can get <laughs> in the lifeboat. And then like, seriously, there's just like, whoosh, a tsunami of poor people. <laughs> right. Which was pretty great to watch. Yeah, it was. It was. And like, Georgiana is just like running around wringing her hands literally like the entire time. Yeah. It's not clear to me what, she, like, because so many of like, Everybody's just like running around and yeah. it's it's very hard to see exactly how it's possible in this short period of time for them to be going as far as they would need to go. Right. When it seems to be quite crowded and difficult to yeah. get around. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, Georgiana eventually gets packed off onto a lifeboat and, right. and stupid lady mortification like stays to die with her husband or something and Yeah. You know, and a million scenes of people being like class conscious and inappropriately class conscious at the moment of death yeah yeah Um, some woman refuses to get on the lifeboat because there's lower class women in it no it was that woman the um god what's her name uh madame aubert or whatever her name is right uh, that's who it was. Right. That's right. Because she said prostitute. Yeah. 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 Because as far as everyone's concerned, she is a prostitute. Right. Right. Which, uh, there's a lot wrong with that assumption. Yeah. Obear. Yeah. Even the servants of the upper class people are, uh, loath to spend any time with her lady's maid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I forget who that was that was getting packed up and, uh, Oh, I think it was uh, uh, the film star. Yes, uh, Gibson, Dorothy Gibson. Right, when they were getting their lifeboats on, or their life jackets yes. on. Yes. And uh, that was when the, the, she offered her, like, the, was that who was offering the bottle of brandy, or was that? Well, it was Charles Lightoller okay. uh, was offering the brandy because her mother wouldn't go outside. She wouldn't, and she was just afraid. For yeah. her, it wasn't a class thing. She's like, right. I don't want to put on a lifeboat. I don't want to put on a life jacket. I don't want to get on a lifeboat. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. so he, like, manages to very smoothly, like, talk her down and say, listen, you need to go with your daughter. Right. So then he gives her this bottle of brandy. And she's like, I can't carry a bottle of brandy. And I'm like, why the hell not? I'm carrying one right now. Nobody <laughs> carries a bottle of brandy. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> In case of boredom. Exactly. <laughs> he also mentions that it may have medicinal purposes if anybody manages to <laughs> swim. This is his genius plan. Right. His genius plan. And I don't think that I've understood this fully yeah. in yeah. the past. His genius plan is to underfill the woefully inadequate number of lifeboats that they do have. Mm-hmm. And then the men will swim out to them. And get in them. Yes. Even though the water is freezing. Right. There's icebergs in the water. <laughs> this it's is the whole reason you're in this predicament. Very cold. Yes. 
And as they point out, all lifeboats are rowing away from the boat yes. because the people rowing the lifeboats know that when the ship goes down, the suction's going to kick in and yeah. everyone's going to perish. <laughs> right. I mean, what you can say in his defense is that he is given no guidance whatsoever. It's true. He's like, not. He, he goes to the captain and is like, uh, so I'm going to start lowering lifeboats now. And the captain's like, I'm just going to stare out this window and not say anything. And, like, it's really awkward and uncomfortable. And he explains how this is his plan, and nobody says anything. And he's like, uh, so, second in command, do you think we should do this? And he's like, I think we should wait to hear what the captain has to say. And the captain just says, stay silent. And he says, I'll take that as an order to lower the lifeboats. Which, I mean, I, that was one of the scenes that I kind of, mm-hmm. I appreciated that scene. You know, Captain Smith just, like, had abandoned his responsibilities mm-hmm. and just well and he's like the on the the cover of like the the dvd or the poster he's like the point man and mm. he's always like this looming figure in these titanic stories despite the fact that he is an utterly unsympathetic character you know there's nothing sympathetic about that man you, you know why because in the again overly heavy-handed reality of the titanic story and myth captain smith is is god he, <laughs> That's true. You know, he is absent and bearded and an old man. And, and sends everyone to their doom. Yeah. And is silent when they need him most. So does that mean that Bruce Ismay is the devil? Uh, could be. Because he's like, you know, yeah. avaricious and goading him into right, this right. sort of confrontation. And then yeah. He, yeah. And I guess that makes Mr. Andrews Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Sure cool (laughs) and then that italian waiter is the holy spirit (laughs) buongiorno we did think maybe he was a ghost because he (laughs) just keeps showing up places and smiling awkwardly (laughs) just a scene will be going on and then it's like oh look there's the italian waiter smiling scene continues (laughs) (laughs) yeah so is that pretty much everybody? Like, have we covered the majority of the arcs? I think so. I'm God, not... very little happened considering <laughs> how much time we spent watching that. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, a lot of people running back and forth, you know. They do, you know, the touching on the tensions in Belfast and the tensions right. between Catholics and Protestants, that was good. I mean, that's something Agreed. I'd never seen brought into. Yeah. It's always just sort of been like a generic class conflict right and, and not a class conflict that affects everything about this trip about yeah. you know the the financing and the building and the actual sailing well of and the it's ship. just nice to see the specifics i mean you know i mean ireland was at a state of war with england from like 1400 through 99 or mm-hmm. whatever that was like there's a 500 year ongoing off and on civil war mm-hmm. and uh that that breeds complications it and, does and we rarely hear about them. And I think, you know, what it is is because as Americans, we don't hear about them in America because Americans are Anglophiles, but there's also a lot more people descended from Irish than mm-hmm. British. Mm-hmm. So we want, you know, the, the Anglophilic part of us wants to see all the fancy clothes and the tea and mm-hmm. the whatnot. But then we can't reconcile that with any discussion of the Irish question because we're all descended from, you know, the enemies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, we're not all many, many of us are, we are, but though, both you of and us I, are. Yeah, both of us are. And you know, a, a substantial number of Americans are. Yeah. And it's, 
it's one of the things that you see levels of criticism against Downton Abbey, and that I would say I think holds particularly true in the second series, mm-hmm. is that, you know, it is kind of, well, that's the inspiration for the name of this podcast, Outdoors <laughs> yeah. Downstairs. Yeah. And I swear someday we're going to do all the research and tell you more about the lower classes like we keep meaning to. <laughs> Our lives are really hard. They're really hard, you guys. <laughs> guys. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's that the story of the wealthy is always the same. Right. I mean, the story of the wealthy never changes. It's, oh, we're wealthy. How do we keep the wealth in our family? Right. And then either they have an advantageous marriage or they don't have an advantageous <laughs> marriage. Yeah. It's a pretty boring game. It is a pretty boring game. And I mean, you know, and I like, you know, like Sense and Sensibility and all that crap. Oh, sure. But I mean, what's more interesting is the story of people who are trying to make a better life for themselves against, like, insurmountable odds. Mm -hmm. I mean, even this electrician, like, he's a very skilled guy. Mm -hmm. And the only reason he's even on this ship is by a fluke. Right. You know? Yeah. That's the uh, movies out there that we have to work with pretty Mm -hmm. much. So, if you'd like to make a movie that doesn't have any rich people in it, you probably are going to have trouble finding financing. <laughs> yep. So, do we have any, like, closing thoughts here? Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think we can overall say that we didn't like it, but I think we'll see how these last two episodes shake out. I'm looking forward to seeing more Lindsay Marshall and Lee Ross. I, yeah, I don't like, know what I'm their not... story is. I expect to be disappointed by it, but I enjoy watching them work together. I don't have high expectations for the second half, but I'm not, like, fearful or, like, I'm not like, oh, I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Like, I'll watch it. I'll see how this all mm-hmm. shapes out, you know. Yeah, so if you haven't been deterred, <laughs> by our denouncement of this miniseries, then go ahead and check it out yourself. Yeah. Well, it's been kind of fun. We've never uh, reviewed anything that we disliked so much. Yeah, before, it's so true. It's, it's... <laughs> well, negative reviews are always more fun to write than yeah. positive reviews. True enough. All right. So uh, that's about it then. All and right. we'll see you back here next time. And until then, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs.